Welcome to Unpacking the Bible with Dr. Gordon Harris and me, Jonathan Clark. This week we are diving into a new series and we'll be starting to explore the life of Jesus, starting with the prologues and birth narratives. So here we go. Jonathan, I just want to say I'm so excited about doing this. Yes. Because I've just I've just felt like I've wanted to double down on Jesus for quite a while and just dig into the Gospels and hang out in them. So I'm, I'm really excited to do this because it helps uh, helps move me along in that in that in that process. So um, I'm, I'm just really excited for tonight and all the other nights we're we're going to be uh, spending. So good. I'm really excited for this series. So we are going to be going through the life of Jesus and we're going to take our time. We're going to go slowly. And as we were preparing for this, uh, Gordon and I were messaging back and forth and Gordon suggested, let's go even slower. And we'll just talk through um, the prologues and the birth story um, at first. And so we are going to camp out in John 1 tonight. Uh, We're going to do the first 18 verses. And so how about I begin by reading it? I'm going to read right now out of the... NASB, whatever version you've got, go for it. Uh, But starting verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in, him the bos- uh, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Wow. So, so here we go. <laughs> I, I mean, if we start right at the beginning, uh, there's a very interesting phrase. And I know you love Genesis and we start here in the beginning. Uh, and that hardly seems uh, coincidental. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a definite reference to language. Uh, if you, if you look at the, at the Greek Old Testament, uh, that that's how it starts with the same kind of language, NRK. Uh, so it's definitely referring back to the uh, to the creation story, and that's uh, that's the that's the major kind of uh, piece out of many threads that are are um, are being pulled on here into this into this work. That's super cool. Okay, so and in the beginning, then we get inserted in there was 
the word, which right. is logos, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Okay, yeah. so this word logos and word, we're distinguishing logos being the written word and rhema being a spoken word. Right. Now, that's a, that's a, a, that's a distinction that is often made, and I've never really done a big study on it. I, I suspect that it's not quite as clean as all of that. Okay, but uh, but the word logos, uh, which is here, you know, most of our versions talk about it as the word. It's tra- it can be translated all kinds of different ways, and it was a a pretty prominent uh, uh, concept uh, in many different sort of religions and philosophies. So, uh, f- so for instance, uh, the Stoics, their philosophy was based on the idea that that reason, or logos, so you could translate it reason, uh, uh, was a, a way of freeing themselves from uh, judgments and uh, and emotions that were, that were not really appropriate. So it was kind of like the rational principle on which everything existed. And then you have uh, somebody like uh, Plato who talked about, of course, he had a very distinct kind of idea about the world, and uh, uh, there was a Jew named Philo who was a very, de- I think, devout Jew, but he also bought into that and widely written, widely read. And he saw the Logos uh, uh, as uh, kind of like the ideal world or uh, even the ideal man, this sort of primal man in, I wouldn't say heaven exactly, but someplace. And everything else in the world comes out of that place. We're all just shadows, uh, echoes of that real thing. And so, you know, the there was a primal man in some place, of course, quite different. But what you find is that those are uh, those are sort of Greek ideas, and if you were a Greek uh, and you were sort of interested in the Jesus thing, and you came across this, you would say, "Oh, I I know about that. I I I have some idea about the logos." But then what happens? This is the brilliance I think of what's happening here is that John, he he hooks people with their concepts of what logos is but then he redefines it. Mm. And he redefines it in terms of the Jewish story, because it's pretty clear from the language. So there is that NRK in the beginning. But you know the word, well, remember in, in creation story, God speaks, right? There's through words that something uh, happens. There's light, and there's life being given to things. So, uh, so the major story that's being pulled on is the creation story right here. There's also a kind of uh, another thing that uh, another uh, story that uh, maybe a sort of a subtext here, uh, because in Proverbs eight, you come across this idea about the about wisdom, and wisdom is described as a woman, but kind of like an aspect of God. She was there from the beginning, and you know through wisdom everything was made, and that that idea of wisdom tracks through Jewish literature. Uh, through the time between the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, through some really, actually some really great writings that many Christians and Jews loved. Uh, so it became more concrete, and, and logos, or the wisdom, uh, was associated with the law, was, uh, uh, again, uh, this aspect of God, almost God. And so now what's happening is John is saying, you know this, you know this story, and you, you, you have this kind of background? Well, hey, the word is not just kind of an aspect of God or the embodiment of the law. It is God through which everything was made. This word is God. So it's, it's brilliant. And if you were somewhere out there, you would be pulled into what, what John is trying to d- define the word as. It's fabulous. So fabulous, if, fabulous. If, I'm, if I'm from a Jewish tradition and I'm reading this, then when he's, 
when he says in the beginning, immediately I'm drawn in because I'm like, oh, this is Eden, you know, or not Eden yet, but you know, this is creation that he's talking about. That's right. Uh, and and if I'm coming at it with the, with my Greek mind and I'm thinking of philosophy and he's talking about the word, that means something. That's ta- that's, right. that's that's speaking in. And, and then I guess he's inserting Jesus into all of this thinking because in Genesis one we're given God and it's this you know Yahweh is described and and it's monotheistic and and so that's that's one God compared to a pantheon of gods, you know, like the the Romans or the Greeks have got. And so that's that's different in itself. Yeah. Um, so this one God is in in Genesis, but but here we see Jesus being inserted into the whole mix, right? That's right. So uh, you know, obviously we're we're as Christians, we're quite used to the whole Trinity idea. Uh and and you know, early Christians, before this was written, they would have come to that conclusion uh, because of you know the the tradition of what was being said about Jesus it wasn't just a man he was well, what was he was the messiah well actually we realize he was actually god he was actually fully god so they they would have had some idea but you know as time goes on it's time to write some stuff down and they do it in this beautiful way and and it's a way of saying you you know this thing that you think you know, you know it's like paul on mars hill where paul sort of dives into their story you know, you you're so relig- you're so greatly religious. You know, you're you're pious people. Because I see over here, there's a statue of even the unknown God. Well, that God, you know, that you're kind of in that story. You know this story. Well, let me define that more. And it's it's like that, right. really. If you were somewhere out there, even a Jew who wasn't a Christian, you you would have caught the story, and it was a way of of identifying actually this thing. Let me just unpack it more for you. Right. The creation story. Let me unpack it a little bit more for you. Uh, and explain what's actually happened now through through the Jesus, uh, you know, through through the creation story. Amazing. And when Paul does his, you know, he's quoting that poem about Zeus in him, we live and move and have our um, being. Mm. And he's saying, no, actually, like you say that of Zeus, but this is this is of actually of Yahweh. But he, like that re- that cultural reference is that what John's doing here? He's like culturally referencing the word and, and the logos. Yes, for the readers there. Yes, although he he would, um, it's hard to know what Paul would say about. Is he just referencing that and saying, you know, trying to make a jump off, or if is he saying, oh yeah, you know that that thing that's actually that's actually really true, uh, what was written there about Zeus? But let me no, he it's a little bit different in the sense of, um, you know, the Jewish writing, the Hebrew Old Testament. It's a it's a real thing. It's a true thing. Right. So he is referencing it, but it, he's he would probably put some more weight on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So then, as we move through uh, verse three, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. I like the the phrasing. It's like that. I mean, that even is like a Genesis where it like takes a phrase and flips it around backwards and keeps explaining it to you. Yeah, that's right. Um, we we've talked about in um, previous sessions how the Bible uses different kinds of language. So it uses narrative to describe stories. It uses poetry to describe concepts, I guess, and, and like take a different perspective to, to shine a light on something. Right. And then we've got discourse, which is is just trying to give you the instructions, the truth of how something is. What What is this? Is, is, is John trying to say uh, all things came into being through him? Is he, is he trying to say when you imagine creation 
imagine Jesus doing all the things that you previously had associated with Yahweh? Or is this a poetic thing that, uh, you know, all things came into being through him? Is it is it just trying to say, no, it's all, you know, it's all wrapped up in him. He's involved in everything. You know, what is it trying to do? Yeah, it's trying to, it's probably trying to do all of the above. Hmm. Definitely telling us, uh, you know, more, more definitely that the God that you know, uh, he, he's there. He's there in the beginning and he's coming, he, you know, he came into the world. So it's our, it's, it is uh, doing that, you know, there's a second person of the Trinity kind of thing. But it does it in a, uh, I mean, a lot of people have said it's poetic, but it, it's really, it's more rhythmic than it is poetic, mm-hmm. I guess. So you have this, uh, as you read it, you, you, you know, you realize this about, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, God, the Word, God, you know, and it, it kind of does this and it repeats concepts and moves forward and moves backward and it, so it's a very it slows down uh, increases the kind of dignity and beauty this is this is so beautiful this this prologue as we would call it. it it's just it's gorgeous it's it's beautiful and and you know it's portraying in a sense well as Jesus Jesus before he becomes the son if we can say that I don't want to get too far down that road but uh, and 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 how uh, you know how 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 out of this world in a sense he is uh the the cosmic christ is the language that's used the cosmic christ uh, yeah. uh fabulous beautiful piece which it should be if we're talking about the creator of the world it should be a beautiful piece and it yeah is. totally yeah and so just as yahweh is saying let there be light here we get the light imagery is inserted right in there that's loud right. and proud uh, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. That kind of feels like some kind of salvation bit of narrative yes. coming in. The, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Yes. Um, and I, when I read that, uh, I think about what is what is that darkness that is describing? Because there there seems to be a few within the old testament there seems to be a few well two main sources i guess of darkness there seems to be this sinister character the serpent in the garden who morphs his way and 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 this serpent somehow manages to wriggle his way and by by the gospels he's he's become satan so that's right um well he gets called the satan the accuser doesn't he in 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 the old testament but this serpent becomes satan um and he seems to be in a an originator of evil, but then I'm aware that Adam and Eve chose rebellion and they chose sin, didn't they? That's so, correct. So, what is this darkness that it's trying to uh, that 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 it's describing the light overcoming? Yeah, uh, the word is actually uh, darkness is Scotia, and uh, uh, I always think of that as Scotland. You know, it's dark up there, but uh, it has no relationship to Scotland. Uh, but but of course, you begin in Genesis, and it, it's dark. And the light comes. It's only when the light comes that things happen, that growth happens. And before that, you know, it's dark. uh, uh, It's just water. That's it. And it's, uh, they say, tohu and bohu. It's like it's a wasteland. It's unordered. And it's only when the light comes, God speaks and the light comes, that the the world starts to have life, become ordered, productive, a place that has, uh, where people can live, uh, has meaning. It's it has no meaning before. So I actually think I've never heard this before, and that's always a dangerous position to take. But but I think again, it's pulling back on that. That that there's uh, in darkness there there is nothing good. Uh, 
that's happening. And so it, it doesn't really fully tell you in these verses, you have to go on a little bit more uh, in John to, to define this a little bit more, but, but you can see just it's in the darkness, uh, some people decide that, that they don't want the light, right? So they'd rather stay in the place that they're in. So uh, uh, it's, it's really, it's not, it's not seen as anything good. Uh, it's more like, you know, you, you've been living this kind of broken life in this broken world, and I've come to rescue from that, you from that. I am the light. It's the, you know, it's the way forward into something beautiful, but you are not deciding to do that. Mm. Uh, some people are, but many are not. Right. It's not fully, dis, you know, fully disclosed at this point. If you go to chapter 3, it comes a little bit more clear when it says, you know, light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So yeah, uh, it's not a good place for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. When I was in uh, high school, one of my peers was preaching passionately uh, to, to our to our year group and was saying, you know, when you're at house parties and people are you know making out in corners or something, if someone flips a light on, then suddenly, boom, people are like, they don't want to be doing things that they shouldn't be doing because in the presence of light, sin becomes mm. awkward and, and people don't like that and, and people want to keep their sin yeah. in, a, in a dark place. That's so right. You know, Jonathan, was... we, when we lived in Texas, it didn't matter whether you were rich or not. You always had to, had to uh, worry about cockroaches. And of course, you'd come home and turn the light off and bam, the cockroaches would start running. Wow. You know, so... Yeah, same thing. Wow. <laughs> um, so if we carry on, uh, then looking at the next little bit, uh, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, that's not the same John that we're talking about who wrote the gospel. Yeah. So the traditional author of John's gospel would be John the Beloved. Yes. The, the beloved. One of the 12. Yep. Yeah, one of the 12. Uh, and this John would be John the Baptizer. Yeah. Um, interesting character. Yeah. I wish I had his fashion sense. <laughs> You'd look good in a camel skin. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Yeah. Uh yeah, and uh, so he uh, I think the thing about it is that we're going to we're going to talk a bit more about him after because uh John the writer flows from these 18 verses right into the witness of John. Okay. And so, but he gives a little a preview here in the middle of the first 18 verses. Uh but he uh, he's very clear that John the baptizer is not the light. He's, he's just witnessing to the light. And in fact, the piece before, talking about, you know, in the beginning was the word, etc. Uh, J- John, uh, uh, it's very clear to say, you know, that there was an existence to the word before he, he came to public ministry through John the baptizer. And so he, because he's before, he's greater is basically part of what's happening here. Right. But John is a John the Baptizer is a great a great well we call him John the Baptist but really it's Baptizer yeah and and uh, that's he's a great figure fabulous figure so we'll dive into him uh, in another session yeah. which I'm looking forward to uh, it's cool it, talking talking about jo- in the Gospel of John there seems to be multiple references to the greatness of Jesus and almost like the the the, the veiled divinity that's standing in front of people and thinking about when he's talking with the, with the, the scribes, uh, you know, teachers of the law. And he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And just using these, these things. And that, and that feels like it's in the same, same vein here where, where it's talking about, you know, John has this recognition, like behind this flesh and, and, and bone that stands in front of me, there is something 
more. <laughs> really big, yes. <laughs> you have no idea how right. great this Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And interesting thinking about John. I mean, we'll get onto him, but interesting thinking about John even in the womb. Like there was this uh I don't know, the baby kicks. There's a recognition. I guess prophetically, the spirit comes on him and he recognizes. Yeah. That's I, that's a that's a divine revelation, isn't it? Yeah. When the baby kicks when you're around, hey. It knows there's something important. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It's really cool. Um speaking of kids let, let's uh let's look at verse 13 uh because there's something very interesting here um where it talks uh about well starting at verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of god even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but yeah. of god and uh, this is similar to Nicodemus, right? Yeah, the same language is really being used. Uh, that that whole uh, conversation uh, uh, from you know Nicodemus, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, must you must be born. And I think the translation is you must be born again. And I think the re- reason that they use that translation because the the um, the word is anothen. Uh, but they use that translation because right after that, Nicodemus says, uh, how, "How can you know? How can a man enter again into his mother's womb? I mean, come on, that that's not working." So that kind of fits. But really, the word uh, is used elsewhere in John, and even in, sort of in the beginning, the whole idea is is being born from above, being born from the top, from, right. from above. So it's As actually in from from heaven. Yeah, exactly. Right. In fact, uh, in chapter three, again, we're having to jump ahead a little bit, but. Uh, there, there's a couple phrases, and uh, so he says, uh, he who comes uh, from above is above all, and then there's another phrase, and then he says, he who comes from heaven is above all. So you see that the, uh, from above and heaven are, are there parallel. And then there's a, a contrast, and the contrast is he's from the earth, is, is from the earth and speaks from the earth. So uh, again, there's a kind of birth that happens, and we've probably most people here have experienced it, and it's not coming through a parent, not having another birth that way, but it's it's something very different as from the Spirit, of course, if you're reading chapter 3. But it's a new kind of birth, and it's not a human birth, it's not an earthly birth, Birth. it's it's a heavenly birth. It's from God, and that goes back to the whole idea of we have the right to become children of God. It's one of my favorite uh, pieces in the Gospels. This whole concept is spoken quite beautifully about you know what doesn't depend uh, like everybody else uh, getting born it doesn't depend upon whether a dad decides you know a husband decides let's have a child you know it doesn't depend on uh yeah we were in the back seat of the car last week and we're gonna have another child uh you know surprise no it's god decides this and if 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 you want it you have the right to become so like suddenly you're translated into the house of the most important, powerful, glorious, uh, you know, beautiful and loving uh, family on the planet or out of the planet, really. It's fabulous. Yeah. Born of on high. Yeah. So actually, I should stop calling myself a born again Christian and yeah. call myself a born of on high cr- yeah. Christian. Born from above. I'm well, a born from above I'm, Christian. Yeah, me too. I was born from above 
from the age of five. <laughs> that will go over well, won't it? <laughs> What's the difference between that and born again Christian? Is that I, was, new I was born in the flesh in 87, <laughs> born of on high, 92. Brilliant. Um, you were five. That's very nice. I was. I thought. I thought around five. I mm. can't really remember. But my sister uh, very earnestly came up to me one day. Said she had a track in her hand, and she said, "Jonathan, have you said the sinner's prayer?" <laughs> and I didn't know what she was talking about. And she was. She was so serious with me. It says here that if you don't say this prayer, then you're going to go to. You're not going to go to heaven. It was terrifying, wasn't it? Oh man! So I dutifully gave my life to Jesus in the in the official tract format. Well done. Um, which I know now we we would we would say it doesn't need to be that mechanical. And there's, you know, even within this passage, yeah. it's got the language, um, you know, that those those who receive him will be called children of God. Yeah, and, and that so. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Because, you know, my experience with my sister giving me that, and I, I'm very thankful for my sister, um, you know, giving me the extra nudge. But but there is sometimes this understanding of like, what is the mechanical way of salvation works? And this here in verse 12, uh, that, that feels like some kind of the mechanics of, of how it works, right? Yeah. It's not very detailed, but it is a, no. definitely. Uh, I, what's interesting about this, and this caught me a number of weeks ago, not particularly on this passage, but a little bit farther in John, but, you know, again, if you go back to Genesis, sorry, we always have to go back to Genesis. Of course we do. Uh, but, you know, you have this beautiful creation. Human beings muck it up by making the decisions that they make. And, we've, and, and that's all of us. It's not just Adam and the woman, the man and the woman. It's all of us. We mucked it up because we've gone our own way. And so you have this world, which is, has the, the, the great, um, I don't want to say residue, because it's more of that goodness of God, the goodness of the original creation, but it's got some putrid parts to it too. Mm. And, uh, impurity. Our, yeah, exactly. It's corrupted. Uh, so you have this, and you have this life that we're living in, we, we, let's call it darkness, and uh, instead of, you know, and uh, maybe this is true in other places, but in terms of how this is presented... Uh, God doesn't come and say, hey, you're in, you're out, you had a bad life, you're out. It's more, okay, um, there's, a, there's a muck up here, and you're all wallowing around in this thing, and it, we'll call it darkness for lack of something else. But now I'm coming down, I'm coming in the light, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to get out of the muck. So it's actually up to you. I choose, but it's up to you. And so people choose to to take the hand of Jesus, to say, I, I, want, I want that. Uh, so it's not, and, and, and that already is, a, again, explained later about, you know, Jesus says, I don't judge you. You know, whoever, yeah. whoever is already condemned, you're, you've just chosen to stay in the muck. So you kind of get what the muck is about. Uh, but we have the opportunity, we have a choice to say, oh, yes, please. I, I want to, I want it to be better. I want to be, a child of God. Maybe I'll, I'm going to try and say this very carefully. Do you think that in our scientific minds, and I keep coming back to this, but do you think that in our, in our rational way of thinking about it, we try and narrow down the message of the gospel and we try and simplify it too hard into a mechanical formula and actually we should be focusing more on the relational aspect of, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying to undo that we've sinned and there needs to be genuine repentance and, and that reaching out. But as you're describing, I'm like, 
the imagery is so strong. It is. And, that it, and it seems to be with the lack of the do this, then that, then that, that it actually seems that this relational image is by far the stronger message that we should be carrying. Yes. I, I've uh, t- occasionally thought about, you know, I really should look at some of this, you know, uh, what does the Bible really say about how we come to Jesus? And of course, we all think we know, and I all think I know, I was trained, blah, blah, blah. But I have this sneaking suspicion it's not quite so so cut and dry. And I, I'm, I'm sometimes just, I have this sneaking suspicion that there's a lot, it's not that there's wiggle room in terms of getting into heaven, but it's that, that things are much less defined than we know, and they're described in multiple different kinds of ways. And uh, coming into the kingdom can come in kind of different ways. Uh, of course, it al- there always has to be trust in Jesus, have to be belief in Jesus. But, uh, but maybe that, that, that whole, you know, this is the, these are the five points. It can make it easy for us to remember how to bring some, and help somebody along, but it, it, it's not probably the only way. And I would suspect as well that if you went through church history and saw how different groups considered coming into into um, eternal life it, it would be maybe different than how we do it mm. but uh, you know i say that not having studied it so not not that authoritative i guess that's good that's good okay let's touch on let's touch on one more bit just at the end of here um john testified about jesus uh it talks about the uh, we've received of his fullness, grace upon grace, beautiful phrase. Uh, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It says, no one's seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he's explained him. So he, he's saying, Jesus, only he has seen the Father. But it alludes to Moses, and correct yeah. me, but doesn't Moses see God? <laughs> yes, sort of. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is again where the, where the this is the part of uh, those verses that have flipped from the creation picture to the Sinai Exodus picture. Mm. So you have that language of came and dwelled amongst, were really tabernacled amongst us, and you know, there's glory. Oh, that's a, that's really Sinai. That's that's where you get that the glory of God in the tent and the tabernacle, and like, whoa, look out! Uh, but uh, but yeah, so you have that image, and I think uh, what we've said about, um, I, I think sometimes we, we have a little Paul on the brain, uh, because Paul's arguing certain things, and so he makes it quite a dichotomy at times, not always, between the law and the gospel. But in the gospels, uh, and certainly in John for sure, there's not that, there's not that sense, and often there's a sense of Jesus is, uh, is actually at pains to keep people to obey the law if they're Jewish. I've come to fulfill the law. And, yeah, and that yeah. doesn't just mean I went to the cross. It means actually I, I'm trying to, I'm living out the way a human being is supposed to live before right. God in the intention of God. Right. So when it says uh, about grace upon grace and the law given through Moses, well, actually the law came with grace. It was a gift. And if you don't believe that, you just have to read some things about how they thought about the law. It wow. was spectacular. Well, let, let me stop you there because... There is a school of thought, and I've heard it said many times, the law came to reveal how woefully sinful we are yes. and that we can't do it. And it almost seems like the law is this like trip-up stick. That's right. Like God sent this stick to trip us up so he could point his finger and say, told you you can do it without yeah. me, so let me send my son 
to show you how it's really done. That's right. But that's not what you're describing. No. And, and what ha- what's happening in Paul is that there's a specific situation that he's addressing. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I'd have to look at it a bit more. But uh, And he, he describes the law in multiple different ways. Mm. That's only one of the ways he describes it. So we shouldn't be taking that idea as the only thing. Right. And really, probably, he's saying that because there are some people who say, I'm, I'm keeping the law, so I, I'm good, I'm in. And it's a bit too far over the edge. And he's saying, look, uh, you, think, you think the law makes you righteous? It doesn't make you righteous. You, you've never been able to do it perfectly, so don't tell me that. Uh, you, you need some grace. You need some grace from God. We, in fact, human beings always needed it. The sacrifices are grace. Right. It's God's uh, way Making of away. providing a way. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so again, if you have to track all the way through the Old Testament and even through the New Testament, how do they view the law? Mm. And there are multiple different ways, but but essentially, it it was a gift from God. Right. Because it was a covenant law. Right. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't mandated from a cop in the sky. It was a covenant. A That's covenant right. between God and His people. And yeah. if you love me and follow these ways, yeah. then you'll, you'll you will be my embodiment on the earth That's and right. you will you will reveal Yahweh to the nations, right? Yeah, and I'll be in your middle. I'll be your God and I'll be in the midst of you. Oh. Yeah, so fabulous. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that I makes mean, me it, it it really makes me feel is. emotional about that. They like the I that promise that he'll come he'll come and he'll dwell in the midst of his people. Yeah. And in fact, Deuteronomy talks about how um you know, it kind of. I'm, I'm going to butcher it up a little bit, but basically says, uh, you know, when the other nations hear about this law, they'll think we're so. Well, how how great is this nation whose gods are so close to them that nations don't really get that it's only one god? But that that idea that oh man, this is so civilized, this is so incredible. Mm. You were so lucky, people. So, you know, real the realistic way of looking at it is the law. It's a good thing, and it was it was God's grace. But now, there's another grace coming. Right. Of course, we would understand it as a bigger grace, a more full grace now. Right. Uh, and then he says, of course, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Right. Because I guess if the law was made in covenant, if the law was a covenant between God and his people, then the emphasis should never really be on the contract. It should be on the relationship between the two people. That's right. And so as for me as a Jew trying to practice the law, it's uh, and Jesus accuses the Pharisees of this like you're you're too concerned and like you divide up your cumin and your your dill and you know all those things but actually your your heart is far from me. Yeah. Because they they they're not their hearts not turned in affection towards Yahweh. And That's if it, right. they were then they would have seen Jesus for who he was. Yeah. They're missing the big parts about who he is. Mm. Does he say, uh, you know, mercy and grace and forgiveness? And so, yeah, so, uh, oh, yeah, so that bad. that whole thing about the law. We're kind of way off the track a little bit. I here. know, I know. But uh, but yeah, the 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 the, the law always uh, was not just something to obey. Yeah, it was never enough. Never enough for people to go and I'm sacrificing my goat. I'm good now. No, no, it's just like people who go to church on. Easter and Christmas, or even if they went every week, it you know, you know, it it doesn't make you a believer. It doesn't make you trust just because you do the things. Uh, it's important for God that people do the things, but it, it's bigger than that. Uh, it's always been about having trust in God, having faith in God uh, at at the bottom line, and always about God making up for human shortcomings. 
you know, if you kill somebody and it's a mistake, well, there's a place you can run to to keep from somebody killing you in retaliation. You know, uh, there's all the sins that aren't covered, and hey, we're going to cover those in the Day of Atonement mm. uh, because nothing else is covered. You know, so there's there's a God is always uh, what He's done in the law. Of course, is uh, and I'm going off in my one of my 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 spaces here, but uh, grace. God has always tried to deal with us with grace, mm. and the law was a big step forward. Yeah. Yeah. And grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. I sort of have wondered a little bit uh, because of the language uh, you said this, but I thought Moses saw God face and he uses that language face to face. Yeah. Which is great, intimate kind of language as a friend. Uh and yeah. that's so true, but there is a sense in which uh, again if you go back to that Exodus 33:34 God says, uh, uh, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. All my goodness will pass in front of you, but I'm not going to show you all of myself. I'm going to stick you in the cleft of a rock because... I fry you to a crisp. Fry you to a crisp. I'm that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so good, your body can't take it. Yeah. It'll fry your eyes out. Yeah. I could take you to see me, but you wouldn't be able to see your friends. <laughs> Ever again. This side of death. That's right. Whereas Jesus has actually been in the full, uh, you know, unadulterated glory of... God, because and, he is God. And here we have the big point, I guess, yeah. of this opening prologue in John, that John is inserting, is putting the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, flesh and blood, Jew walking, yep. first century Palestine. He's bringing him into this whole eternal cosmic narrative and to the monotheistic character of Yahweh, Israel's people, he's saying, Jesus, synonymous with Yahweh. Yeah. That's outrageous, the claim. It's an outrageous claim. And many Jews had a problem with it. I And still do. Yeah, and still do. That's right. And, and uh, you know, we discussed this earlier. Uh, the reality is if you try to, to figure out the Trinity, it just, it's, there, there, I forget who said it, but, you know, if you, if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll go crazy uh, or go mad. But if you if you don't try to figure it at all, you'll you'll lose your faith or something. So, you know, so we're, we 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 can't really, I think, understand the Trinity. We can try to grasp some of it, but uh, it's a bit beyond us, I think. But the main point here is that Jesus is God. That's right. When we read Yahweh, we can be sure that Jesus is right in the mix. That's right. And he's coming close. He's coming close. You know, we talked about God being with us. Hey, this is as close as it's going to, you know, it's good. Well, actually, it's going to get closer. Oh, boy. The spirit living with us. But, but yeah. Oh, this is exciting stuff, Gordon. It is really good. Well, that's it for this week's Unpacking the Bible. Thanks for joining in with us, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>